0: Hi, I'm Paul Cudahy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast.
1: And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs and lots of great Duran Duran memories.
0: From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015 and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021. The Duran Duran Albums Podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band.
1: We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record.
0: And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects.
1: So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast.
0: Molly, uh, We have back for another episode And this is, I suppose this is the big one This is the first of the 14 albums that we're going to go through track by track And I'm quite excited at the prospect But I found it quite a strange experience in the build up to this Because I was saying to you before we started recording It's probably the first time I've actually sat and listened to an album With a notepad and taking notes And rather than just listening to the song and saying oh, I like that song I'm actually trying to either think of why I like it and then particularly with these songs, some memories from the distant past coming back into my head.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, and, and we've talked about in the, in the previous episodes how great a thing music is really to, to trigger those memories. And I have had this album on my Spotify, in the car, in the house now for the last couple of weeks. And oh, I am reliving the 80s. So tempted to get out my neon leg warmers and my Madonna <laughs> rubber bracelets, but I've not quite gone that far.
0: Well, I can tell you that I, although I listened to the album on Spotify, I actually sat with the, the original vinyl, which obviously we're only doing that, it's in an audio, but I'm going to show you it, cradling it, just, you know, a sign of affection for old time's sake.
1: Give it a nice cuddle. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, we've talked about this before, that the Duran Duran re-release that I was aware of uh, over in America had the different album cover, and it was more, I guess, on the original release was right back at the very beginning of the band but then the the album cover that was used in the re-release it must have been done 83 i guess and they definitely had their look each one of the members of the band had their particular kind of genre of look and and uh, that's what i always think of when i uh, listen to this album i don't think of that old fashioned new romantic <laughs> picture
0: yeah, I'm, I'm just older than you. Do you know what I thought was amazing, actually? And again, we'll be going in telling the story of Duran Duran part two later in in the show. But when I was just looking at the album, June the 15th, 1981, it came out. So I was I was a month short of my 15th birthday. And I think, my God, where have the years gone?
1: I know. I mean, it's like I am slightly younger than you. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> i met somebody older than me. But but yeah, it, it's... um. I probably haven't developed a lot in a lot of ways from my 12-year-old self. <laughs> but I, I think um, Duran Duran, they were definitely a taste, and I don't think it was a bad taste to have. And so I'm quite proud of my 12-year-old self for recognizing good quality music.
0: And do you know one of the things that's been nice, we've obviously just had the wee trailer and then the first episode, but we've already had some really positive feedback, either on social media or... Emails. And there's one email we got from a guy called Scott Parsons, who is based, he's just an hour north of New York City on the Hudson River. Scott's uh, a recently retired army officer, he retired last November. So he now teaches philosophy and ethics at the United States Military Academy, West Point. He just emailed us to say, dear Paul and Molly, brilliant first episode of the podcast. Looking forward to all of the new segments and special episodes that you mentioned. And he goes on to talk about how he trouble picking his his top three Duran Duran songs. And we're going to hear from Scott later on in the podcast because he has actually gone to the trouble of choosing his top three. And as other people are going to discover in the course of the podcast, that if you email or, or tweet us or whatever and say really nice complimentary things, you're guaranteed that we're going to read it out.
1: And that could be a positive or a negative for some people. But by all means, I am absolutely loving the fact that people are contributing already what what their top threes are and what their memories and recollections are of the band. So please do feel free to to send us a a voice recording or send us a little video or, you know, even just an email. That would be great. Love hearing from everybody else and, 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 you know, the sort of memories that the band have triggered for them. Bring it on.
0: Because my younger sister, Anne-Marie, she had listened to the first episode. And it was interesting, you were saying she was maybe, I think she was about 11, I think, when they first came out, 10 or 11, so she was a wee bit younger. And I think because it was music that I liked, then that's how she ended up getting into it. But she said she listened to the first episode and then couldn't get to sleep because she was just racking her brains trying to think of what her top three would be.
1: And, you know, it's it's funny because I think just like the, like we were, the first one or two, you know, bam, they come straight in there. But then there's a 40-year back catalog to choose from um, to come up with that third one. But but yeah, it's um, there's lots to choose from. But I also think, you know, I think uh, in the later interview that you do with David, you know, he was very much at this moment in time, this is what I'm going with. And, you know, it could be a couple of days later, you might be in a different mood and in a different vibe. So, you know, your, your top three may change and, and that's cool. Send them all in.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And and the David that you mentioned to is uh, David Orwick. We're going to hear some of the interview in this podcast, and then we're also going to put the whole interview up as a bonus episode. He runs the the Guy fans of Duran on Twitter. Really fascinating interview. But I think what, because I think when we were talking about what would be quite nice is as we just about we're just going to kick off and go through track by track. So I think people are also going to get a bonus because you know my Duran Duran album had nine tracks. And so did yours, but it wasn't the same nine tracks. So what we've done is merged it. So we're actually going to give people a chat about 10 of Duran Duran's songs, which I think, I mean, you can't say fairer than that.
1: 10 for the price of nine. <laughs> I think it's a bargain.
0: What I, what I was going to say is it'd be quite nice if either as people are listening to this, or certainly once they finished, even if they go and have a listen to the album themselves, and then maybe what, the things that we might have said might trigger off uh, some memories uh, or it was just a chance, just to, as you mentioned, just for people just to go and listen to an album that maybe haven't heard or, or bothered listening to for a long time.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I said in, in the last episode, Duran Duran was made by the videos that they released onto MTV in the US. So, you know, watch the videos because that's quite an eye opener as well for um for, from this album. Some uh, some pretty good videos and, and some big name Directors of their videos as well from this album
0: And that's almost an almost seamless link It's almost as if we practiced this Into the first song on Duran Duran's debut album Which had a quite controversial video But Girls in Film And what would your, in terms of either then or now What are your thoughts on Girls on Film Which was the opening track in the album
1: I have to say it's not one of my favourite songs It feels very... Of the moment, I think. And again, I am quite fixated on the videos. And I first saw it on, on that, the TV series called Night Tracks, and they played the edited version. So I hadn't seen, I didn't see the, uh, the full length racy version um, until like quite a number of years later. And I just felt like it was a little bit gratuitous, I think, uh, but I understand why they did it. And um, yeah, it, it's just never been a vibe that, that really <laughs> mattered in my world because it's supposed to be about the exploitation of uh, fashion models. And I know nobody can see me on this podcast, but fashion model and Molly, <laughs> <laughs> never never words that are used in the same sentence, really.
0: <laughs> well, that's funny you should say that because fashion model and Paul are, are words that have never been used in the same sentence either.
1: I don't believe that.
0: I, I have the face for an audio podcast. <laughs> Remember I said to you in the last episode that I... I'm always interested in the first track on the album, and I actually do. I think as a as a first track in an album, particularly a debut album, I, I really do think this is a a really good song. And also, I, I kind of Andy Taylor's guitars kind of quite central to it. But I, I think there's certain songs where you kind of can focus. Some seem to be more focused on the bass line or the drums or, or sometimes the, the synthesizers. But I think Girls in Film is one of those songs which kind of all merges. So it's, I always feel it's quite a good showcase for the the band as a whole, and that kind of Duran Duran sound. um, Obviously, I think it was the, It's interesting, it was the third single, the first first in the UK that got to the top five, and that kind of really took them, that was then, I think that was them then on their way after that.
1: Yeah, and I think it was actually the, um, was this the first single that the band were actually able to choose for themselves? Because I think Planet Earth was the first single. Yeah,
0: and then I think the, well the story is that the record company decided to choose Careless Memories and then that that didn't do so well and then the band chose Girls on Film and then obviously that proved to be a big a big success.
1: It's almost like the uh, the record company didn't quite know where to to fit the band and the band knew themselves the best so you know they knew what would what would uh be the hit for them.
0: I tell you one thing about Girls on Film it's quite I find it quite a difficult song to sing along to. There's a couple of lines in it where it's quite quite difficult, I think, if you want to sing along. It's that line of the first uh, verse where it says, walk right out to the four-line track. There's a camera rolling on her back. Now, it's that's hard enough to read, but I find that quite difficult if I'm trying to sing along.
1: Pulling Dolly by the hair could be a bit of a tongue twister as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the same It's the same section in the, the song. Do you know the only thing I, I did notice when I was listening to it on Spotify? You, you know, you were saying it's maybe not one of your favourites. On the album, it, can, it tells you how many listens it's had. So, for example, Planet Earth said about eleven and a half million. Anyone out there said two million. Girls and Films said something like fifty-one million listens. So it's like way out there in terms of that first album of of uh, huh. listens, which I which I was quite I thought was quite interesting.
1: That is really interesting. I mean, because the band have done quite a, a number of re-release albums and that sort of stuff. Has it been included on a lot of different re-releases?
0: I mean, any live album, any greatest hits, any compilation—it's front and center because that would because mm. that is the first, certainly the first top five single they had in the UK. So that was that was the real big breakthrough. So it, it's obviously, and a lot of people think like it anyway. So that's probably why it's got that popularity.
1: And if they're if they're watching the videos, they just want to see a naughty video.
0: Do you know? I don't. I am not. I'm not sure if I've ever actually watched the whole video through. I just.
1: Really.
0: I'm all about the music, Molly. Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a slight hint of dubiety in, <laughs> in your voice. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
1: Go for it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if we move on to the second song on the album, which is Planet Earth, which interestingly, I think this is the first where our first experiences of, well, certainly not, maybe not our first experiences, but the first release of the American version had at the night uh, version of Planet Earth, whereas the UK version just had the the kind of Three and a half minute single. I I love this song because it was my first experience of listening to Duran Duran. First experience of hearing them, and then from
1: that moment on, it was like, well, that's me. I'm a fan. And I really think Planet Earth. I think it's that that song that really lays out their style and and their sort of musical taste. That was, I think, the definition of Duran Duran back in you know eighty one to eighty three, really. That, that set set the scene, and I think there you know there's even the line about the new romantics within there. So I mean, did they make up the the, the term new romantics, or had, was that already out there?
0: No, I mean I think I've seen a couple of documentaries where I don't think there's anything definitive. There's been a couple of journalists who had, I think had been writing about the scene that maybe started in London. That you know there was obviously kind of parallel scenes of in London with the likes of and Steve Strange and Visage, and then. Obviously, Duran Duran were Birmingham based. So I think they've maybe just, I'm not sure if they've just taken that line and just used it as a kind of nod to the, to the movement they were part of.
1: And then, I, you know, again, I go back to the videos. That was one of the um, one of the first videos that I saw. And, and it was very much, very artistic. They're like standing on an iceberg and they've got all their, their new romantic gear on. And it's definitely a look and a sound that, that established them.
0: Because whenever I see any of the early videos, it does it does make me hark back to those those days of wearing Tucker boots back in the early 80s. And I have a, a fondness for them that I had I'd, I'd a black pair. And well, those were the days.
1: You know, that's funny because <laughs> their fashion has always been something that I've been interested in. And yeah, I love those boots. And boy, did I try to find those wherever I could in America. Never did.
0: That's very that's sad.
1: I know, but... <laughs> That's the
0: sort of person I am. The, one of the things that I like about Planet Earth, and I, I think I was more aware of it recently. I don't know if you if you watched, there's a thing online that John Taylor was doing during the lockdown called John Taylor's Stone Love Bass Odyssey, where he would basically just be going through some of Duran Duran's classic songs and explaining how the bass line came about and obviously started with Planet Earth. And obviously, you know, he was still, you forget that, you know, some of them were still teenagers when that album came out. And he developed over the years in terms of being a musician. But it was great just watching him. Because I think the bass line and then Nick's synths for that melody are, are the central, for me, they're the central parts of that song. And it was brilliant just watching him. He just did a wee recorded drum machine and then was playing the bass line. And you thought, that's amazing just watching how he kind of deconstructs it and then shows you what he did.
1: You know, this again, this goes back to, I think, the differences between male and female fans because i think with guys you do you really pay attention to the music and you break it down and 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 that sort of thing and to be honest it's always been about the whole sound for me and yeah you know thinking about planet earth uh nicks sense do spring to mind but I, i i have never really particularly broken it down by each of their instruments like that
0: to be honest this is the you know i was saying to you this is the first time i've sat and kind of listen to music with a notepad and and did it that way. So that's probably the first time I've actually started kind of trying to analyse a song. Interestingly, a few years back, I had brought out a book of, I think we mentioned it before, a book of short stories inspired by Duran Duran. Song titles, every story is a, a song title. And we had a wee launch night in a pub in Glasgow. And I had this kind of, just basically some friends. We called ourselves The Bookends. And we we played as part of the, the launch three Duran Duran songs. So we played Rio, Is There Something I Should Know? and Planet Earth. And well, it was funny because a couple of my pals, uh, they were playing in the band, but they're not big Duran Duran fans. And while well, they did it as a, an act of friendship, I could see them thinking, can't believe we've been made to do this in public. But if you Google uh, the bookends Planet Earth on YouTube, you'll hear... <laughs> Probably a pretty poor version of Planet Earth that we recorded maybe five or six years ago as a wee kind of treat for you.
1: I'm adding that to my notepad as we speak. <laughs> the book ends. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, my little, in- I don't have any interesting facts of like performing that or anything like that, but um, the interesting fact that I learned about Planet Earth was that, and quite relevant today in the news about Mars and the and the the little helicopter on Mars, but um, apparently. NASA play Duran Duran, Planet Earth, when they launch any shuttles, and and if it's it's supposed to be poor weather on the return of these uh, these spacecraft to to land on Earth, they'll they'll play Hold Back the Rain. So how is that for an interesting little tidbit?
0: Did Duran Duran not do a special concert or something at Cape Canaveral recently?
1: They did. I can't remember if Kennedy, it was Kennedy. Was it the Kennedy
0: Space Center? Yeah. And, uh, Kennedy
1: Space Center. Yeah, they did a, a couple a special of years ago. Yeah, (laughs) that's
0: amazing. That actually, you know, every time NASA are sending people out into space, then it's the uh, Duran Duran soundtrack.
1: But you know, I suppose that kind of it reflects this age because you know, with Scott's ex-military work at uh, West Point, we're of an age that we're professionals, and uh, why not bring it into into your workplace? I'm sure my colleagues would love it.
0: One last thing on Planet Earth, I mentioned. The original American version had night, the night version of, of Planet Earth, which I, I I listened to ahead of this podcast. And I don't know why they would have put that on the original US version, because it's certainly when you listen to the song, it's about six or seven minutes. I would have skipped that in the album. It sounds like a 12-inch club version that you would listen to in a club when you've had a lot to drink and think it's great. But actually, the three-minute pop song is better.
1: You know, I think I might have the answer to that one for you because I think Duran Duran were really wanting to break into the American market and they thought that it was going, their, their market was more around clubs and, and they thought like music videos in particular, they were being shown in clubs and video jukeboxes. So um, I think that's probably the reason why they thought it would be best to uh, release a longer version like that, because they would expect it to be played in the clubs.
0: The third track on the side, one of the album, Is Anyone Out There? Again, in America, for whatever reason, they they slightly extended the title and called it Is There Anyone Out There? But for me, that's my favourite track on the album. I love that song. And I also think any album, particularly any debut album, that's as strong an opening three tracks, I think, as you're going to get. And I think I love the guitar on that. And I think it's just such a strong, really, really strong song.
1: It is a good song. And I think you're you're absolutely right that the first three on this album, again, it does just set the scene of what the, the rest of the album is going gonna, is gonna to sound like. And I know that you've, you've made comments in the past that, that you actually do listen to an album in exact order as it's been uh, recorded on the album or, or the CD kind of thing. So yeah, for, for those uh, purists, I suppose you might call it, who, who listen straight through on an album, it does make sense that those are the first three tracks because I think they are very definitive Duran Duran sound.
0: Because as I say, I think that's one of those songs, but again, sometimes there's album songs you think that would work, that could work as a single. And I think that's one of the ones that if they had released that, I think that would have been, I think it would have done really well. But when I was listening back through a few times, and that's the one, if I had to choose one track from that album, that would be that would be the one for me.
1: And I think uh, it's probably one that I could sing along to because they kind of do a little bit of harmonising maybe a little bit. So so my, uh, my croak would probably be... Fit in quite nicely underneath.
0: See, I think there's a part of you that either in the course of this series is either wanting to burst into song or you want somebody to sing. You're always making appeals for somebody to sing.
1: Definitely not me. You don't want to do that. We want to we want to gain listeners and promote this podcast. We don't want to like make people switch off. You definitely <laughs> don't want to hear me sing.
0: <laughs> not even anyone out there.
1: Well done, Paul. Definitely not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on to track number four, and this is one where they kind of slow things down to the shore. But again, you might know the reason why that's never that song was never on any of the US versions that were released. I'm not sure why that that was the case.
1: No, I um, you know, in the course of my research for this, I, I couldn't really find out much about that one at all, and just in my collection. It's been added in, but it's, it's still even not really a song that I'm particularly familiar with. And I don't know if it was just down to the American record company just wanted to keep the, the album to a certain length. I don't know. I've never really seen any explanation for it.
0: I mean, the only thing I saw was because the original version coming out in the States had the night version of Planet Earth, which was, a say, about six or seven minutes long. So I think you're right. I think maybe for lengthwise, that was the song that was sacrificed And even when they did a later version and they brought in, is there something I should know, which we'll talk about in a wee while, they never, ever reintroduced to the shore was always the one to sacrifice rather than the instrumental at the end, which would have been the obvious one for me to
1: drop. Well, I'm sure um, obviously we'll get to Tel Aviv later on in the podcast, but that's a really interesting one for me, but we'll save that for in a few minutes time.
0: Well, the last song on side one of the album is Careless Memories, which we'd already mentioned was the, the second single, and it hadn't done as well as Planet Earth. And then obviously Girls in Film did better. I've actually still got my original copy of that single. I bought it for 79 pence. I didn't buy it actually when it came out. So it came out, I think, about the April of that year, and then we went away on holiday somewhere down in England. I think it was near Great Yarmouth. And I remember buying it in a, in a shop there. And... Part of the reason I remember keeping this single was when we were in the holiday, it was a holiday camp we were staying in, and I'd met this girl who, bizarrely enough, we were down the south of England, she stayed back home in Scotland in the the town that was next town to where I stayed, five miles away. But she was leaving a couple of days later, so she'd given me her name and address and stuff like that, contact details, which I actually wrote on the, the record sleeve that is there. Her name was and as Jan is Janice Lane. I'm not going to read obviously her address or anything out. But when I came back home to Scotland and I never I just never had the uh, the courage or anything to get in touch with her. So anyway, a few months later, was it a few months later, maybe whatever it was, we were like in the fifth year at school. So that was the year you were either going to be leaving school to get work or go to college or university. And they had a big careers fair in her town, and we had gone along, pile of us friends, and we had these, you know, the things that were like kind of we space invader thing, diddly bopper things that you just put in your bumpers, head. Yeah. And we thought that this would be hilarious that we would all go. So this careers fair where people are looking to get into all sorts of industries. Hercule University, about half a dozen dozen of us turned up with these stupid things and I met this girl who just said hello and spoke for a couple of minutes, but I could tell even then she thought, I'm so glad you never called me when we come back from holiday. <laughs>
1: and uh what career did they recommend that you pursue <laughs> with your daily boppers on
0: i think they just took one look at us and said nah, good luck
1: canada <laughs> <laughs> <Janitor. laughs>
0: so that so that's my that's my memory of careless memories and to see i've still got the the single with the price tag and the girl's name on it
1: for for me i think careless memories was um it seemed to be a little bit quite a good drum beat to it all so it was kind of maybe one of those I could do your angry thrashing about sort of dance and kind of release all that excess teenage energy that you that we all had I'm sure but yeah I, I seem to recall that would be the one that I would kind of turn up pretty loud and, and have a good bop around to
0: because I wondered as well I, I thought because the drums are really I think they're really strong in that because I, I wondered when I was listening to it again I thought I wonder if that's going to be one of your favorites just because of the, <laughs> because of the drums
1: Back in my, the teenage Molly, you know, she, she liked a good song and, and she, she loved Roger Taylor, but uh, I never deliberately chose a song just because his drums featured prominently, so no.
0: because <laughs> <laughs> one You
1: brought it up this time, not me, Paul.
0: <laughs> okay, listen, it was only a matter of time.
1: <laughs> Probably so.
0: Because one of the things that, you know, when I mentioned, I, th- I think I hadn't done very well on the chart, so when I was just reading up on it, he said quite often it doesn't appear on any... You know, if there's any greatest hits compilations as a result of the fact they hadn't done that well i i think it's a great song you know i'm surprised it didn't do as well as planet earth or, or girls in film because i think it's a it's a really strong song
1: and i think you know having seen a few people's um top three i do see it you know fairly regularly in in people's top three or five so uh yeah it's it's uh interesting that it doesn't appear and did i read somewhere that the only re-releases that they have done have been live versions because they do a slightly heavier, more more driven version of it, perhaps live. And and I, I don't really know because I'm obviously I've not had the the pleasure of seeing them live as often as you probably have. But do they play it live very often?
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the songs. I don't know offhand in terms of the the kind of run order of the the gigs, but I mean it certainly is an old song. I think it gets such a good reaction whenever they do play it. And interesting, the the B-side of Careless Memories is a song called Canada, which is going to feature later in this podcast.
1: Now, is that the way that you say it? Because I have seen things written to say that there's a really weird pronunciation of it.
0: And what would the weird pronunciation be?
1: Oh, I should not should have been more prepared for that one. Something like... <laughs> like Canada? Because they did it phonetically. They, they spelled it out phonetically, and it was like something like, can they... They made it a hard A, Canada or something like that. It was it was weird, but maybe that's just, maybe right. that was somebody trying to put an exotic spin on it <laughs> when it shouldn't really be there anyways.
0: Well, we're going to take a break from going through the album track by track, and we're going to give people the Duran Duran story part two. And once again, it'll be my daughter, Rebecca, who is going to do the honours in terms of reading this, and I'm slightly concerned if the, the podcast does take off and the popularity grows and untold riches come our way, that she'll be looking for a cut of it.
1: Well, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due.
0: Well, here is uh, my daughter Rebecca with the Duran Duran story, part two.
2: The Story of Duran Duran, Part 2 On February 2nd 1981, Duran Duran released their first single, Planet Earth, which proved to be an instant hit in the UK, reaching number 12 in the charts. It would also reach number 8 in Australia, although it didn't make the Billboard Hot 100 in the United States. The following month, the band made their first TV appearance on the music show Top of the Pops. Planet Earth was followed by Careless Memories, which didn't do so well in the charts, only reaching number 37. The decision to release that song as a single was said to have been a decision by their record company EMI, rather than the band, who subsequently chose Girls on Film as their third single. A great decision given that it reached number 5 in the UK charts. And ironically, for a band who would certainly owe their success in the States to their coverage on MTV, The video for Girls on Film was banned by both MTV and the BBC because of its X-rated content. By this time, Janan Janan's eponymous debut album had been released on June 15, 1981 and it would peak at number 3, remaining in the UK charts for an extraordinary 118 weeks. While there were 9 tracks on the UK release, the song To The Shore was dropped from the initial US album due to the fact the longer night version of Planet Earth was included on that record. The album would later be re-released in America in 1983 with Is There Something I Should Know added as a ninth track along with the original version of Planet Earth. And the growing success and popularity of Duran Duran saw the band playing live throughout 1981 in the UK. Europe, and North America. In November of that year, My Own Way was released as a standalone single, reaching number 14 in the charts. The song would later appear on the Rio album. And having Demo recorded many of the songs that would appear on their second album in early 1982, Duran Duran went into the studio to complete work on what would prove to be one of the most important albums of the decade.
0: Going to look at, we mentioned at the start, Molly, that we're going to have five tracks to look forward to. And the first of those is the song that only ever appeared on the US version of the album, the re release. Is there something I should know? And I said to you before, this is where I'm so envious that you've got an album that has that song on it because that was something that we never had. It was obviously a brilliant single, the first number one, but it never ever appeared on an album.
1: So the backstory is that. The first time that the album was released in America, it didn't really go anywhere. And then with the popularity as MTV grew, because uh, Duran Duran were one of the first bands to really get loads and loads of video content out there. That was how they, they broke America. And so the record companies in their infinite wisdom thought they would re-release. They were starting to get a really good reception for Rio. And so they thought, why not cash in and, and re-release the, uh, the first album, Duran Duran? that was released in 1983. And it was that point that I actually became a, a Durani myself. And it was because of the video for Is There Something I Should Know. Again, I go back to I'm all about the visuals. And the video was just so amazing. And it was just such a, a different sound to the stuff that was going on in America. I mean, it, in America, it was Ario Speedwagon and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and American guitar rock, I guess it was. So to have this new sound with pretty boys and synthesizers and a, and a good beat. That was me hooked. And, and, you know, it is down to this, to this song. So I know that we're going to talk later on in the podcast about what our favorite songs are and, and that sort of thing, but spoiler alert, I think this one might be mine.
0: I'm not sure what I would have chosen if that had been on my version of the album. I I just think it's a, an amazing song. I've always had this thing in my head. It was, obviously it was a single that was released here between Rio and Seven and the Ragged Tiger. And, for some reason, it was always in my head that that was a kind of precursor to what was coming next. And for whatever reason, the band had scrapped what they was planning for the album and then reworked, you know, went and worked and produced Seven the Ragged Tiger. I think that's just something that I've invented in my head, because although it was the, the kind of the, the link between Rio and Seven the Ragged Tiger, I don't think the sound is quite the same in the album. I always felt that was such a brilliant song. I just couldn't wait to hear what they were going to do next because I thought if that that is a taste of what's to come, it's going to be amazing.
1: Yeah. And I guess um from that perspective, it doesn't quite fit with the rest of Duran Duran, the the UK release, because the the first release was very much the new romantic sound. And is there something I should know? I feel like it's kind of a development. So yeah, I totally get. What, what you're saying is it's it's not quite of the Duran Duran album. It's not really quite of Rio or Seven and the Ragged Tiger, but it seems to be within that progression. But definitely, I probably wouldn't say that it does fit on the first one, but it's yeah. still my favorite.
0: I just always had it in my head. I hope that there was maybe like the Lost album that one day it would, they would just say, this is what we were planning to release before we decided to do something else. And there'd be this whole new batch of amazing songs that we'd never heard before.
1: Wouldn't that be great?
0: See, see, in terms of the lyrics to that, because obviously that's got that famous line, don't say you're easy on me, you're about as easy as a nuclear war. Where do you stand on that line?
1: I sometimes think that, you know, Simon probably came up with all this imagery just for the sake of the image that it would evoke. But um, yeah, maybe he would had just a, a really difficult time with a girl and he <laughs> was high maintenance.
0: Because one of the things, what I was going to ask is where do you, in general, where do you stand on lyrics? Because... For me, it's about the music because you could have the, the greatest lyric in the world. You know, you could put the most beautiful poem and put it to music, but see if you don't like the music, it actually doesn't matter what the song's saying. If you can't listen to that, then if they complement each other all well and good, but, you know, Love, Love Me Do by the Beatles is the most simple words ever, but it's a classic song because it's a brilliant tune and it works.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I think it is definitely the music the um, the sound that comes first, unless it's a particular poignant moment in your life, and sometimes there are just songs that resonate with that point in time. But I think those are probably few and far between, where it, it comes down to what the the lyrics actually are. Because yeah, I think sometimes they could just be singing a lot of gobbledygook, but if it's got a good beat to it, that's what that's what ends up being the memorable bit about it all.
0: That's why whenever I hear people talking about you know they love the lyric and certain, you know, lyrics resonate with them. But if, I think, if you take the music out of it or you put it to a different kind of music you don't like and a tune you don't like, then the lyric means nothing to you then.
1: Yeah, and I always find it quite interesting when, when you, um, like, watch all those talent programs and stuff like that, and they try to switch up or change the beat to, to well-known songs, and, and sometimes you just think, you have just absolutely massacred it because it's not about the words, it's about the original tune to it all, so yeah, I think um, you know, that obviously kind of confirms for me that that it is about the, the music rather than the words.
0: And I do I do like that, the nuclear war line, partly and this is obviously just a shameless plug for the fact that my book is called As Easy as a Nuclear War.
1: What does it what does it mean for you then, Paul?
0: I don't think it means anything to me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was funny. And what I thought was good about it is that actually people castigated them for this terrible lyric as i said lyrics don't really i'm not really interested in the lyrics so i just thought it was funny that people were using it as an excuse to criticize them and you think it's a line in a brilliant brilliant pop song
1: yeah i think you know people love to delve into what the meanings are behind songs and and why would they choose this word over that word and it's like who cares it's a good tune
0: um well as i say that that is a certainly a high point in the u.s reissue of the Duran Duran first album. The next song is Nightboat. In the US, it was called Waiting for the Night Boat. Again, I'm not, I have no idea why they, they used the extension. How did they do that? I, I don't it, know.
1: Is, is it because Americans just like to talk a lot? So <laughs> we feel like we have to add on more words into song titles.
0: It's really strange. I think there's certain songs on this album, but I, I would think they were Nick Rhodes songs. So I think this is one of them. I thought uh, To The Shore was very much... Him to the four, as it were. And I think Nightboat is very much. And interestingly, again, only when I was listening to it, it's over two minutes before the vocals kick in. So you've got over two minutes of of Nick, really, the music before uh, Nightboat, actually, before Simon starts singing.
1: That's interesting that you say that because um, I think, you know, the way that, that we've kind of cut this album in half is very appropriate because you're absolutely right. I think it's this second half, or maybe if it's even this the second side of the album the physical album it very much has a more introspective and moody sort of vibe to it and it makes absolute sense if, if it was nick that um that kind of took the lead in, in putting these songs together because they definitely have a mood to them the second half of the album
0: because i also think anytime whenever you're looking at any documentaries about the band or reading anything obviously they were started by Nick and John and they seem to be certainly a driving force in terms of where they saw, it wasn't just a case of they were two pals wanting to start a band. I think the feeling I always get is that they always had this idea that they wanted world domination, you know, so they were quite influential, I think in that sound.
1: Yeah. I think what I had read was that, that Nick and John, their original concept was, would be a cross between chic and the sex pistols and, um, and That's I, a
0: bizarre combination.
1: It is, but I think, you know, when, when you listen to the second half of the album, I think that you can, you know, really hear that because, you know, you've got John's bass and I think that he's he's really into the whole chic sort of funk. Is that sort of? where you're
0: kind of you're wanting your audience to, like, you know, dance to the music and then spit on you?
1: <laughs> well, now that is quite the concept. Please, <laughs> any members of Duran Duran, if you happen to listen to this, Please let us know if that's
0: what it was. I think "Nightboat" is one of those. You know, there's certain songs where I was saying to you, I thought anyone out there would have made a single. I think there's certain songs that would definitely just album songs. I think "Nightboat" is definitely an album song.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, but um, I think it's just a great song. It, it, it is. I have to have fi- like all of them are my favorites, but the second half of the album is definitely it's it's more my mood. Love that song.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I think if if I had to choose, I'd probably come down on this side of the first side of the album. I think
1: I don't know if that speaks to the sort of people that we are. Maybe you're like a an upbeat, happy person, and I'm a moody git. <laughs>
0: <laughs> give, give me a good pop song.
1: There's nothing wrong with a good pop song. That is for sure.
0: Well, where do you where do you stand then on the next song, "Sound of Thunder"?
1: Again, love that song. Um, I just have I seen, I don't know if I've seen a video for for that song or not, but um, I just always hear it in my head as a black and white video. And I think when I was doing the research for it, this was um, both John and Nick have said that this is the one that really defines what they wanted to draw and and to sound like, you know, the chic um, sex pistol combo. So uh, yeah, they always think that Sound of Thunder is the definitive of that sort of thing. And I can't say that I've ever necessarily said, oh, yeah, that sounds like Chic or anything like that in particular, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's still a good introspective song.
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting that, that they, so they're they obviously, as you said, they're obviously thinking even at the time. And, again, it's, I keep having to remind myself that they are just young guys barely at of school when suddenly they're catapulted into pop stardom, but they have the sense to try and think what it is they're trying to do.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, reading uh, John Taylor's uh, biography, you know, a couple of years ago, I think he he is just an absolute music fan. And uh, you know, if if those were the sorts of things, you know, if, if they were young teenagers coming up in in the uh, the early eight like late seventies, early eighties, of course, you know, the, they'll know the punk scene and the the coming out of that one and and, and trying to find. The next alternative, so that would have absolutely informed their their musical education, I would assume. So it makes sense. It's just like you know, there must be bands out there today that were that were raised on the likes of Duran Duran and, and Spando Spandau Ballet and that sort of thing. So music of the the nineties and the the two thousands would be informed by that. So yeah, they are a product. Duran Duran are a product of their musical upbringing. In
0: those moments, I always think back to when I was eighteen and. I wouldn't been able to think of a concept for anything, never mind uh, dominating the pop world.
1: Well, that's the reason why Duran Duran are the, the pop stars, and we aren't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is a good point. What I was going to ask you, actually, I was just curious, it just came into my head there, and you know, we've, we've spoken this a couple of times, of the way you and I would listen to an album. When you originally got that album back in 1983, you know, and it was a vinyl album, what did you do then?
1: You know, I actually think that it was probably I probably didn't even get the album until much later on. I would have had the cassette, so yeah, I suppose I would have had to have listened to it, you know, one side at a time. But um, yeah, I can't I can't remember. Maybe this whole need for randomness is, has been developed later on in my life
0: because I've never I've never owned a Duran Duran cassette actually. It was always the vinyl records that I always, and then I got obviously laterally maybe got some CDs, but. It was always the, the vinyl records that I always loved.
1: Well, see, the technology went hand in hand with my music taste because at the same time that Duran Duran were coming out was when the Sony Walkman was first released. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very insulting to the older generation, but albums were for old fogies like my dad and cassettes were the way forward for us uh, youngsters.
0: The next song, and it was one that you mentioned last week when we we agonised over our top three, and it was one that you chose, and that is Friends of Mine.
1: Yes, um, I just loved the sound of Simon's voice on that song. Um, He just kind of growls at you, and uh, yeah, that's um, a great song. Again, I don't really have much else to to say to that one, but uh, I think it just, you know... and I was dissing people for analyzing lyrics, but I'll, I'm going to start analyzing some lyrics here. But he obviously uh, had some some people that were were not to be trusted that were in his realm of life that have obviously had an impact on him. And it's almost like a a warning: be careful of who you bring into your into your life.
0: I love the chorus on you know the Georgie Davis is is coming out chorus. I think that's a brilliant chorus, and I also think that's one of those you know when I've identified. Having listened back through it, and I'll say, you know, just, the bass seems to me the prominent in this song or whatever. I think the guitar, Andy Taylor's guitar in that one, is is the one that jumps out, or it jumped out at me when I was listening back to it.
1: Yeah, I think it is quite. Um, even in the video, again, I go back to the video, but um, Andy's guitar does take a lot of prominence in that one, and it, I think, it does really show how accomplished he is as a musician because I think he, at least in my understanding of Duran Duran he always was kind of in the background and I suppose he was the one who was the, the real musician for hire of the band is, is kind of the way that I always pigeonholed him. But uh, this song definitely shows that he is a master musician um, of the guitar. And, and yeah, it's a great tune for his guitar there.
0: Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be, obviously it wasn't in my top three, but no, I think it's a, I, I do like that song actually. To, to be honest, I've still I have over the past week since we did that recording, I still keep thinking I wish I'd chosen a different one.
1: Well, what we can do is like, you know, halfway through the series, then we can revisit and see if we want to change. Good There's no trip. rules. We can do what we want.
0: <laughs> we just make the rules up. It's our, it's our game. Exactly. The last song on the album. And this is the one where, you know, I was saying to you later I don't understand why, for example, that they, they brought in Is there something I should know and drop to the shore? rather than Tel Aviv, which is instrumental, and I was trying to think that there's a couple of instrumental songs that I remember from the back in the day, which I do really like. Simple Minds, great Scottish band, had a song called "Theme for Great Cities," which was an amazing song. And then Joy Division, which was another band I like. They had a brilliant instrumental called Incubation. But by and large, I like songs with uh, with vocals on them. So I, I always feel I always feel kind of slightly disappointed with Tel Aviv at the end of this album.
1: That's interesting that you say that kind of to go back to what we were saying just a few minutes ago, where we were talking about that it is the music rather than the lyrics and it must be for you then. And forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but is it the sound of a singing voice that you like maybe because surely an instrumental would tie in with liking the musicality of it?
0: I think, do you know, the thing is, I think it depends on the song. So for example, If I'm doing any writing, then it'll be instrumental music. So Mogwai, who are just an amazing Scottish band, I listen to a lot of Mogwai because by and large it is just instrumentals and it's brilliant for writing because, you know, it makes me focus on what I'm doing. But I think for pop music, which I would say Juran Duran is just, they're pop songs. I think pop songs need the the music and the words. They need the vocals because that's a song, you know, and I just think... I don't know. I don't understand why they didn't just because I think there was a version and I think it was completely different from that one. But at one point they had lyrics.
1: Yeah, apparently there is a um, Simon wrote a poem that, that there are lyrics to it, but uh, it was just never put to the music. But that was what I was what I was going to ask you about it is. And you've reeled off a couple of examples of instrumentals from other bands. Was that just kind of what was done in the day when you released an album? You always included an instrumental.
0: Do you know, I think it seemed to be with quite a few of the 80s bands around at that time. I mean, I was a big fan of orchestral manoeuvres in the dark and they always felt a bit self-indulgent actually when they would just put some, which looked like weird instrumental stuff that they'd just been messing about in the studio and, and, and came up with some strange noises, recorded it for a minute and gave it a title and suddenly that was an extra song, a track on the album. I always felt that was a kind of, there was a laziness to that as if they were, you know, Here's a 10-track album, but here's a song, here's one that lasts a minute it's just noise. And I thought, nah, that's if you're writing pop, if you're in pop music and you're writing pop songs, by and large, somebody needs to step up with the words and sing them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I see where you're coming from on that one. I'm sure that I had read somewhere that, that Tel Aviv was actually used as an intro for the for their live gigs. So that, you know, like when when everybody's milling about waiting for the band to come on, I wonder if that would be what they would play in. And that was the reason why it came about. But but yeah, like you're saying, why stick it on an album?
0: I wouldn't mind so much if it wasn't. Again, it's over five minutes long. And I think, well, even if it was at a minute, then and then you've got another four minutes where you can put another song on it. I, and if I was listening to the album, if I hadn't been for this podcast, I would definitely then have just gone on to listen to something else.
1: Maybe it was just. Nick felt a little bit power hungry, and he sent Simon out of the room for, you know, <laughs> half an hour. And and, and Nick is like, "Right, boys, we're going to do what we want to do."
0: <laughs> I can. I, I'm I'm going with that as the story. Then
1: we can start an urban myth. Let's see how far we can spread it.
0: So interestingly, and again, this has just came came to me here that so on this fa- the first album, so I've said in anyone anyway, out there is my favourite song, and you've you've said probably is there something I should know? But then. When you had to choose your top three, you chose friends of mine.
1: I'm all over the shop, you know. I, I just, um, <laughs> it goes back to the fact that, you know, when you're confronted with having to say what your favourites are, it's very in the moment. And my moments keep changing. <laughs> That's my excuse and I'm sticking with it.
0: Well, I think for me, the final, for my final thought on the first album is that, you know, apart from the fact by that point, I remember, you know, getting the album, being at school, absolutely loving the album. And I think as a debut album, I think it's, it's a really strong album. And I think what is good, I think, for a, sometimes a band can bring their first album out and it doesn't get any better than that. And sometimes that's brilliant because the, what they produce in that one album is amazing. But I think what's good about Duran Duran is that it was a kind of hint of what was to come and they just, you know, they kept stepping up and stepping up. And I think that, for me, that was that's what's great about them.
1: I absolutely agree because obviously it was this album really that, that got me interested in in the band and it's definitely not an amateur sound at all i think you know they're they're definitely accomplished musicians even from the outset but you're absolutely right that it is just a taste of things to come they got better and better as the albums went on so um not only the fact that they've been around for so long for over 40 years now but it just shows that they're not a one trick pony you know that they, they had plenty of, of musical know-how and and, uh, ability to make it last for as long as they have done
0: and whatever happened to that original cassette tape that you used to listen to
1: oh gosh it's probably stuck in a cassette box in my sister's loft although no saying that she she doesn't hoard things so when I moved out she probably binned everything so it's probably been consigned to the the heap many 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 years ago
0: that's a shame because it's probably worth a few quid though
1: well, if we're talking about the amount of money that we spent on Duran Duran stuff over the years and how much it would be worth today, yeah, I uh, have lost a lot of money over the years for just checking things out and selling them on. Do
0: you know what's funny? I, I For years, I had kept all my vinyl albums, but in recent years, because I don't have a, a turntable at the moment, so a lot of the, the records that I had, I gave away to, to friends that, that had still had turntables, and there was only certain albums that I kept and amongst the ones that I did keep, just for sentimental reasons, were all my Duran Duran ones, because I just, I couldn't bear to part with.
1: Yeah, and I obviously, later on in my collection, must have bought the albums, because I remember pinning the album covers on my walls, just to add into the pictures from Smash Hits and the posters and the badges and that sort of thing. But um, no, you know, like I was mentioning earlier about having the the Sony Walkman when it came out, I've always been, I love my tech. So, you know, CDs came out and I got everything on CD and then, you know, it's been probably a good 10 years or so I put everything on the cloud. So I don't hold any physical music really these days. Um, what I may save would be like the, uh, the little inserts on, on CDs, but I don't even have many of those. So uh, yeah, it's all in the cloud and in my head.
0: <laughs> and, and one uh, suggestion for uh, a product, a marketing product for the band, if they haven't got it. I saw somebody the other day, a friend of mine, he had a T-shirt on and it was just a black T-shirt, but it had all the Beatles album covers. And it, it looked absolutely just in the middle of the, the front of the T-shirt. And I thought it looked really, really eye-catching. And I think that would be a great bit of merchandise for Duran Duran if they did that. Just have a T-shirt plain, but just all kind of small squares of each of the album covers. I would buy that.
1: Absolutely, and you know, as we go through time talking about all the different albums, they were so visual. The album covers were amazing, and you know they had some some great artists involved in their album artwork. So it w- it would look really cool
0: for sure. Oh. And and we won't even ask for a royalty, is uh, for it being our idea. For, if the band want to go ahead and do that,
1: just give us a call. Let us know you <laughs> picked it up.
0: We'll just take a couple of free t shirts.
1: Absolutely the... signed, please.
0: No, I don't. No, I don't want mine signed. I want. want to... No, because I want to wear it. Oh, one signed, one not signed.
1: There you go. I think yeah. that's the best option.
0: I, I think that's fair enough. We mentioned at the start that I did an interview with a guy called David Orwick, who on Twitter, you can find him, he's Guy Fans of Duran, which is a great name for a Twitter handle. Um, uh, I think it's Boys Make Noise, actually. It's at Boys Make Noise. And, you know, it was originally just to try and think is as a place just to let the Guy fans of Duran Duran know that there was other Fans out there, he also runs a podcast A great podcast called The D-Side, which I think you should If you haven't already listened to it, you should check that out And what we're going to do now is we're just going to play A wee kind of five minute clip of David's Interview and then once this Podcast episode's up, we'll put the full interview Up as a bonus episode And so here's just a wee clip Of the chat we had with David <laughs> Thanks for joining me and I have to say right away we are recording this on your birthday so I'm absolutely delighted that you've taken time out for your celebrations to talk to me.
3: Yes, this is part of my celebrations. Thank you for for having me.
0: Uh, well, listen, it's the pleasure's all mine. I have to say that the the first thing that always caught my eye was your was your Twitter feed. I just love that the guy fans of of Duran, just I mean, I, I suppose people particularly who particularly have listened to your podcast maybe know where that came from but even if you could just give us a re explanation of how how that came about that twitter feed in that particular title
3: so i had a, a like a regular twitter years ago and i just kept collecting more Duranis as followers and talking to people and i realized the different thing for a in the duran world is a guy fan of duran they, uh, you know we still are have always been and still are a minority i think so i just at first I was like, create a space for, and obviously never meant to be just guys or anything like that, but um, for people to talk about things other than how cute John Taylor is or, you know, the collectibles, the music, the concerts and stuff. So I just, just went that way. Cause it's a, it's a somewhat of a rarity in the Duran world to be a guy fan still.
0: Yeah. Cause I, I've, I think I spoke about it on, on the first episode and I was speaking to Molly who does the podcast with me. About how I remember being at school and when Duran Duran first sort of became aware of them, and it was majority of the fans in the school would have been girls, and it would have been although I, I would have said I was a Duran Duran fan, I was probably in again in the minority, and yeah, and even now if you meet people from years and years ago, sometimes they're, they're almost surprised when you say you're a yeah. big fan of the band.
3: Well, especially in America, it definitely was not. I'm, I wouldn't say I necessarily hid that I was a fan, but I didn't really announce it (laughs) to the general public, you know, when I was in high school or whatever, very much so.
0: So what was it then for you that turned you onto the band? What made you become a a Duran Joran fan?
3: I probably got into them as early as an American could through MTV, probably. Um, It was Planet Earth, Girls on Film or Hungry Like the Wolf would have been my first song, but really through video. So, like, very late 82, probably, and it was just, who can say, it was just, it was magic. I remember, you know, from late 82 to late 83 that year in America, it was just an onslaught. It was Rio, came first for us, really, unless you were really cool and got the first album on import. Then came the re-release of the first album, then came Seven and the Ragged Tiger. So, we got, like, three albums in a year, so it was pretty unavoidable <laughs> to...
0: Because what, what I always like, just not just in terms of Duran Duran, but just the music in general, that you, you kind of touched on it there. There's some bands and some artists and music that you like, you've no idea what, why when you listen to that particular song, something clicks when yeah. another song it doesn't. It's just some something magical happens.
3: Well, and it's odd that I'm always the one to ask the questions and try to get people to explain why dot dot dot, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just because. I mean, it was just it was literally everything and I had like sort of favorites some music favorites before that but this I think one of the things was too I have an older brother and a sister and a lot of my early early music stuff came from them I would you know dig through their records and especially with MTV this was new I could find things all on my own without them and you know It started that phase of, oh, your music sucks. And you know you're doing something right when you're younger if the older people think your music (laughs) sucks.
0: Because, see, I was the other side of the coin because I'm the oldest and I've got two younger sisters. And I was actually chatting to my youngest sister just after we started doing the podcast. And she said she's about five years younger than me. And she said that's how she got into Juran Juran through listening to my music. And and Mm -hmm. probably if if I hadn't been into the band, she was maybe a wee bit young. So she always felt kind of quite cool, the fact that she was liking music that maybe was ahead of in terms of years.
3: Oh man, if I had younger siblings, I would have literally forced them to sit and listen. And I, you know, <laughs> I used to make, I used to, when I was really young, had a thing I would do for my mom and dad. Would, <laughs> I don't think I've told anybody this before. I called it rate a record and I had like different like lyrics, melody, whatever. And they would have to listen to, I don't know, three, that was like a game show I made up and basically to just get somebody in my room to listen to my music. So, <laughs> so I remember making a mix of, like with the tape recorder of Hold Back the Rain, and I edited out when he says, I really don't give a damn, because I didn't want my mom or dad to hear damn, of all things. So.
0: Interesting, Molly, that at the end of it, we asked David for his top three Duran Duran songs. I was quite fascinated, actually, that that idea of, you know, he mentioned how male and female fans of the band and of music in general, I think you, you've you already alluded to it as well, maybe how we listen to music, how we are fans of a band is different, sometimes along gender lines.
1: Yeah, and, and I had never really thought about it before, that it would be split like that, because, I mean, I, I obviously, you know, I was in my little Duran Duran bubble. I didn't really have all that many people around me to, to really talk about it. It was me and my best friend, uh, who were who were the weirdo Duran Duran fans that's yes. you know I think what David was saying in his interview was we we still followed similar paths in hearing about them from MTV and just the progression of listening to the music but it seemed to be for him that it was because you couldn't be outwardly I love Duran Duran kind of thing it was a guy thing it was about the music it wasn't about how cute John Taylor might have been or or how Simon wore his hair for, for that album, or or anything like that. So um, it just felt like for guys, you know, I'm a fan of the music, and for girls, it was a little bit more airy fairy. Now, you know, hopefully, I don't get any hate mail about this because yes, female fans will will also love them for the music,
0: and, and some male fans would have found Simon Le very cute. So
1: absolutely, but um, yeah, I think that that just it really that interview really brought to life for me that that there are differences in the way that people express their love for a band which is great yes. I think
0: there's a really interesting book actually and I think David might mention it in the podcast it's a guy called Rob Sheffield I think he's an American music journalist and he wrote a book called Talking to Girls about Duran Duran and he was growing up in the States and it was all about I think the subtitle is one young man's quest for true love and a cooler haircut. And it was that kind of idea of (laughs) uh, figuring out that, you know, girls absolutely love Duran Duran. And he thought, well, that's, that's how I maybe meet, you know, learn to love the band. I think he becomes a fan, but that was just kind of like teenage in his teenage mind thinking that's how maybe I get girls interested by talking about the band.
1: Maybe that's what it was. It it all boils down to girls want to marry somebody in the band boys want to look like somebody in the band so that they can marry the girls that want to marry the guy in the band how circular is that
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the uh that's the 80s summed up perfectly
1: and the thing is you know in in the 80s it was all about the androgynous look as well so you know it gave guys a bit of ability if their musical heroes were wearing makeup and guy liner then why can't i did you ever wear eyeliner
0: i didn't know big hair no, I think probably uh, I think I probably had a receding hairline from when I was about fifteen, so it was there was no hope for me.
1: Oh well, you just stuck to the music and hung out at the gigs and and hoped that girls would look past John Taylor over at you and go, "You're the one."
0: <laughs> and that never happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't say that that uh, my love life ever developed because of Duran Duran, but hey ho.
0: Yeah, well, let's go to different podcasts altogether.
1: Yeah, let's let's change the topic.
0: People are listening going, yeah, we want to hear that episode.
1: <laughs> no, you <I> don't.
0: <laughs> We've got another voice on the podcast now. It's a, a night of varied voices, an episode of varied voices. And we mentioned them um, right at the very start. There's a guy called Scott Parsons who who'd got in touch with a really nice email, a really positive uh, feedback on the first episode and in his initial email he had written about his feed, three favorite Duran Duran songs and gave a wee explanation so what we did is we just asked him if he would just record that and give us a wee explanation that we can actually play out on the podcast rather than just you or I reading it so here is uh, Scott Parsons who uh, lectures at uh, West Point Military Academy in, in the United States and this is his choice of his three favorite Duran Duran songs
4: Hi, my name is Scott Parsons from West Point, New York, just an hour north of New York City. I thought that picking my top three Duran, Duran songs would be impossible, so I just went with my gut. And for the record, I would have trouble picking my top three songs from each of the Durandran albums, let alone overall. Anyway, here we go. From the Liberty album, Serious. While I love the melody of that song, I also love the message of positivity. I like the idea that just because you have a fight with your partner, it doesn't mean we've got problems. And let's be honest, ain't always black and white. Who cares anyway? My second track is from the Rio album. As Paul mentioned in the first episode, all of the songs on Rio are brilliant. But Lonely In Your Nightmare holds a special place for me. Like Molly, videos resonate with me. I love both versions of this video. And in fact, on YouTube, you can find a comparison video where they play both videos side by side to show you the differences. You really should check that out. I also love in the song that they reference soldiers. Soldiers coming home like shadows turning red. As a retired soldier, this has special meaning to me. Duran Duran have had some amazing b-sides, as noted by both Paul and Molly when they talked about Secret October during the first episode. Another amazing b-side was to that of Careless Whisper, which was Canada. Canada is amazing. I love Andy's guitars throughout, especially the intro. John's bass is great, Roger's drums are pounding, and let's be honest, Nick's keyboards are incredible. Simon's lyrics are also really cool. Don't play with me. I have nothing to lose. And those are my top three Drain Drain songs for today. And if you ask me tomorrow, I might have three different ones. Thanks.
0: Do you know what I thought was really interesting about that? And and I mean, I have to say thanks very much for... Scott, for sending that in for recording it. And also, just to let people know that if anybody wants to take part in that, just send us a wee, just wee voice recording on your phone. The email address is jurandjurand at paulcuddehy.com. The details will all be on the show notes. And we'd love to hear from you as many people as possible because everybody's got their own choices. What I thought was really interesting, Molly, is when you and I did it, and we both chose Save a Prayer, and we both kind of thought, well, everybody's going to choose that. And actually... Uh, Scott didn't. I mean, he chose a different song from Rio. Chose Serious, and then also Canada or Canada, or however you pronounce it. But I, I thought it was really, I was thought it was a really interesting choice of songs that he gave us.
1: Well, you know, I I just think that that's what I am loving about this so much is that everybody's got their opinions. Everybody's got their life moments that where Duran Duran entered into their lives. So it's so cool to to hear other people's top three because it kind of gives you a little bit of an insight into. Where they were and and what their tastes are. So yeah, I think we obviously are are not the definitive Duran Duran fans, and uh, it's great to hear everybody's opinions about as to what they like.
0: Kind of goes back to I think what you said maybe right at the start of this podcast is that, and I think everybody will find this if they want to take part in choosing the top three is how do you choose from forty years worth of music? It's almost as soon as you give three, you think. What about that one? And what about that one? And as, as you and I have found out, as we start listening through the albums, or songs that maybe you haven't heard for years, and you go, "Wow, that's brilliant!"
1: Yeah, and I and I think David has mentioned in his interview that he has a real love of all things new. So I think it's it's almost like you know I I'm probably quite nostalgic about in my love for Duran Duran. I always like the the old stuff because it, it it gives me it takes me back to my teenage years. Whereas for him, it was about like, where does he hear new and um, exciting things from the band? So he takes his favorites from, from that sort of perspective. So again, you know, it, it just really does bring home for me that, that it just takes all sorts to be a Duran Duran fan. There is no one stereotypical Duran Duran fan.
0: Absolutely. And as I say, if you want to get in touch with us on Twitter... It's at Albums Duran or you can just search for Duran Duran Albums Podcast or email us Duran, Duran at paulcuddehyay.com and you know as I say if you just record even on your phone your top three Duran Duran songs and a an explanation of why and just send them to us and we'll we'll use them in, in the weeks ahead and I suppose the next episode uh, is one I think I mean I'm certainly I mean looking forward to everyone but obviously the next album on the list is real and you know for me the that would be my favorite album of the the 1980s and on one of my all-time favorite albums. I'm really looking forward to getting through that one.
1: I am too. I mean, obviously I've been, I've been focusing on uh, the first album so much over the last couple of weeks. So it'll be great to, to revisit Rio again. And uh, yeah, I get to talk about all those exciting videos that they did from that album. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to that. And, and if anybody wants to, uh, add in there their ideas any thoughts that they have on on uh, Rio please do send them in and uh, we'll include it in the, the next podcast
0: yeah that's, I mean that's a good shout actually because obviously as we're talking but if we've got other people that can you know give us our thoughts one thing that will be in the next podcast we did an interview with a writer called Annie Zaleski she's bringing out a book it's this imprint called 33 and a 3rd books. And it's all books about albums. So somebody, a writer chooses a specific album and they write about it in you know, a really analytical way. And there's been about 150 albums that have been written about. And Annie was commissioned to write about Rio. That book is coming out on May the 6th. I've got it pre-ordered. I can't wait to read it. She, she interviews the band for the book. So if you even do a search on Twitter, Annie Zaleski, and there's details on how you can pre-order the book on the next podcast you'll be able to hear her chat with us as well which is great
1: looking forward to that one that's gonna be brilliant
0: and until then i suppose just practice your singing for the next episode
1: yeah i think i'll just listen to rio and and enjoy the tunes from there (laughs) thanks for joining us on the duran duran albums podcast and we hope you enjoyed the show
0: if you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us that will help other duranis to find us and of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better.
1: You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at albums duran or email us at DuranDuran at PaulCatahee.com.
0: Join us next time on the podcast. And in the meantime, keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.